0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's bow our heads and pray for the message today. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, and, um, and I, I thank you for this message. I, I am loving, I, I think we are all enjoying being in the in the Gospel of Matthew, thank you for him, Lord, and as he uh, was with you, you called him. He was a not some religious guy. He wasn't a prophet guy. Uh, in fact, he was a he was a government guy. He was a tax collector. Uh, And kind of out of sync in many ways with his own Jewish culture and all the spiritual things happening. And yet, you saw Matthew's heart. And I believe you see the hearts of all those here today. And many of them have no idea you see far more in them than they see of themselves. And that you are calling them and drawing them uh, into a whole new realm of intimacy where they hear the voice of their Savior, not only to get saved, but then their life meaning, their life purpose, uh, to to become engaged in the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven and the presence and power of the King as it is in heaven, so here on the earth. So may we hear what the Spirit would say to our hearts, and may we be ready to embrace it, and then run with it. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Okay, so um, we've finished the Sermon on the Mount, so we we got the teaching principles of the King in Matthew 5 through 7. Now Matthew chapters 8 and 9, Matthew transitions from the principles of the King to the power of the King, and he tells in these two chapters ten miracles of the supernatural. So we begin, uh, the first life lesson is coming out of verses 14 and 15, what seems like a minor miracle can turn into major results. We read in verse 14, now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And so he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. Uh, You know, so we we talk about, you know, homes and how the Lord's been impressing on me the power of the home, Jesus' love coming to the homes of people. And, And so half of the disciples, six out of the 12 that were called, I mean, these are the 12 pillars, foundations of the kingdom. Half of them were not prophets or priests or religious guys. They were fishermen, half of them. And so Jesus had picked this little village called Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee as his headquarters. And now he's going to Simon Peter, the fisherman's home. He's been invited there for a meal. And it's after sundown, so that means the Sabbath had ended. And and the, the Lord is bringing all these people, but Jesus wants to go into Simon Peter's home. And I want you to notice the power of touch. He he gets there and he finds out that Peter's mother-in-law, who certainly, you know, if you had Jesus come into your house, you would want to serve him. But she has got such a a fever. And in fact, uh, Luke, the doctor, tells us in his gospel it was a great fever. She couldn't get up. She couldn't serve. And I'm sure that, you know, for, for a woman who, that, that's what her expertise, that's her gift, her ability, her talent, and to be laying there just feeling, not only can she not serve him and enjoy him, uh, but she is laid out and feels miserable. So Jesus comes to the home. I want you to hear that. Jesus doesn't just go to church or synagogue, but Jesus loves to come into homes. By the way, this is the sign. If you, if you want uh, the, the spiritual, supernatural things uh, to start happening in your home, invite Jesus into your home and be hospitable. Be hospitable. They invited Jesus to come to their home for a meal, and that's a very beautiful and wonderful thing when we open our home for meals, for family, for friends, for even strangers or whatever that we make our home available. And so, this this happened in this home. Um, And look at this. This woman is healed. The story of that now is going to go outside. They're going to hear of this healing, even though it was little. I mean, it's not like she had some death-defying disease. She had a fever. She felt horrible, but Jesus heals her And I want you to look at what happens next. So we think of Jesus, that's uh, just a picture of him and his compassion and his care, and he reached out and touched her. By the way, I want to say this as well. If you're taking notes this morning, write down this phrase, the power of touch. The Bible teaches the power of touch, the power of laying on of hands. The Bible encourages us to lay hands and even there, as you can see, the love of Christ, and you put your hands on someone's head when you pray for them, and a loved one. Uh, you put your hand on someone's shoulder, and you bless them in the name of the Lord. Do you realize, O oh child of God, why it is important and why it is powerful uh, to, to be touched in a healthy way, in a holy way, in a life-giving way, in a healing way? The world is, is desperate. And there are many perversions uh, and immoral kinds of touching that are going on, but such the need for uh, loving hands, like, like the hands of Jesus. And the reason that the laying on of hands, you know, upon the head and upon the shoulders is so powerful is, you and I are mobile carriers of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just hang out in church. <laughs> but we are now, we are described as the temple. God, His ultimate desire, now of course God came to the temple and it was made of stone and His glory was there in the Holy of Holies, but that was a transition time. Ultimately, His desire was to be in a living temple, and that's what the New Testament tells us. And guess what? You and I, the believers, are the, we are living stones. And inside of not just, you know, ministers and pastors and evangelists and prophets and, you know, that, but in every single believer dwells the glory of God, that you are a mobile carrier of the Holy Spirit. Many of you have, you don't know, you, you have no clue, you have, there is so much inside of you. It's not about you, it's who dwells inside of you and can be released In love and care and compassion, in prayer and expressing faith. If I had the button and I could push that button and open your eyes spiritually just for a few moments, you would be shocked because you would look around and every true, genuine believer here would be lit up with light and the glory of God. And trust me, the whole angel realm, the holy angels, they see believers, not just the physical part, they see your spirit. And so do the fallen angels, by the way. They know when a believer is walking and filled with the glory of the Lord. So there's much within us. And and so the the power of prayer, but the power of holy hands and blessing and touch in the name of Jesus. Now, whoops. uh, Okay, there is kingdom power to heal the sick and deliver from demons. So now I want you to notice Jesus heals this one mother-in-law in Peter's house. Look what happens next in verse Sixteen. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. You can circle the word all because the secret Greek meaning of the word all is all. There's nothing secret about it. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He's quoting a prophecy there about the Messiah. And the Hebrew of Isaiah 53, which is talking about the Messiah, who will bear our iniquities and our infirmities, allows for both physical healing as well as spiritually being healed. It covers both. In other words, when Jesus ultimately went to the cross and died for our sins… He bore our sins, and He bore our sicknesses. Therefore, He has the power to forgive us and give us eternal life, and He has the power to heal our bodies. He, 2,000 years ago, before you and I were ever born, through His death, burial, and resurrection, He bought you. He redeemed you. He paid for you with His own life and he has the power to forgive you spiritually, and he has the freedom to heal you physically. Now, I realize that, you know, not every person gets healed every single time, but the basis of healing is the cross and is the resurrection. And therefore, we can pray, Lord, I pray. I want to be healed. I want to be made whole. Spirit, soul, and body. Amen? Now, it is interesting. I want you to look at these couple of verses, 16 and 17. It is interesting to me that Jesus is both healing the sick and expelling demons. And I want to just make an observation that these things in the Gospels and in the life of Jesus seem to go together. We find here often, in, and especially Galilee, Galilee was up in the north. And I want to show you a picture of Galilee. Whoops, oh, now well, that's that healing. Yes, so the, uh, Galilee to the north. Um, it's in the northern part of Israel, and that's just a little corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's very beautiful. You can see how uh, the, the land near it is very... These are farms. Uh, it's kind of one of the few places really unchanged since the days of Jesus. It's absolutely beautiful. And northern Israel was Jesus' headquarters. So I want to try to explain Israel. Israel is not real big. It's about the size of the state of New Jersey. Um, and after, you know, David, and then he gave it to his son Solomon. But after Solomon, Israel was divided into, in half, in two kingdoms. There was the northern uh, kingdom that is called Israel in the Old Testament. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And so Israel had their king. Judah had their king. And they're kind of you know, fighting with each other, and the north had 10 tribes, and the south, Judah really only had two, Judah and Benjamin, and, and and in the south, that's where Jerusalem was, but it was in the northern area of Israel, and by the way, Galilee is in northern Israel, it was the 10 tribes who first went in, into idolatry. They were the first ones to rebel against God. They were the first ones to raise up idols. They were the first ones to bow down to the Canaanites and to their practices. They were the first ones starting to sacrifice their babies and their children uh, and, and went into evil. And they were the, also, Israel is the first one that was, God allowed then finally to be conquered by Assyria and taken into captivity, and they lost Everything. And there's a place in the north um, near the Sea of Galilee called Caesarea Philippi. And that place, in that place, is a, a Greek, uh, a place where they worship the Greek god Pan. And, and to this day, there is a place in Caesarea Philippi in the north there uh, that is called the Gates of Hell. It's literally called the Gates of Hell and the history is, this was the geographical spot in the north of Israel where the demonic spirits literally came up from beneath and then infested the whole northern tribes who had opened the door to evil and to demonic things and strongholds and all of that. It is interesting that when… so. So Jesus doesn't... You would think he would have his headquarters of his spiritual ministry in the south, where Jerusalem and the temple is. But no, he says, "I am my headquarters will be in the north. Think about what that means. Jesus says, I am going to the heart of darkness, and I am putting the flag of the kingdom of heaven here. I'm going to start right here where it got dark. And then he takes his disciples and he... he, (laughs) I, I love this. The way I heard it one time, and I just think it's so amazing. You know, the disciples got school with the Messiah for three and a half years, and three and a half years, Jesus is basically kind of wanting just to tell them, uh, give them one one test, and the test has one question, and you you get the answer given to you for three and a half years. And then you get asked the question and see, do you think you could pass the test? And here was the test. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Well, some people say you're the Messiah. You know, who do people say that I am? Some say you're the uh, Messiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or whatever. And so finally Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And you remember, it was Peter who said, we know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, he was moved. He said, wow, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. You have had a divine revelation. If you know who I am, only the Father could have opened your eyes. And guess where? And and he said, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Guess what? Where Jesus had his disciples where he asked the question of who am I, and Peter gave the answer, was literally in the place called uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi, where there's Pan, Banius, and that's where the gates of hell were. That's where Peter made his confession at the gates of hell. When Jesus said, on this rock, your confession or revelation of who I am… I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me here's what Jesus was saying I'm coming to the heart of darkness I am standing at the gates of hell and devil I'm coming beyond the gates of hell into your territory because you have men and women who are made in the image of my father who are lost and burning and suffering and I'm going to break your power I'm going I'm to set them free i'm going to forgive them, heal them, deliver them as they repent and cry out for my name and I'm going to save them and I'm I'm going to take them into the kingdom of my father. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus was saying. He wasn't, some people interpreted the gates of hell won't prevail. Oh, we just sit and, you know, we kind of get buffeted and then we survive. No, he's going, dude, I'm coming in. I'm going to drag men and women who are bound for hell. I'm going to save them and deliver them. And you can't stop me. That's what he was saying. And that's what God is doing. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what revival is all about. So I'm saying that as we are praying, God, you know, send your fire. Well, a fire's not just having a, you know, a great time in church in the house of the Lord or the synagogue. But real fire is when it happens in the home. And even one woman gets healed in a home setting, even of a fever, that can open the doors. That's what happened here. Multitudes then came and got healed of all kinds of things and got delivered of all kinds of demonic strongholds. And I'm telling you, the three million people right here in the city of San Diego, many of them are lost. They're being used, they're being manipulated, they're being bound, they're being battered, uh, they, they are, they're emotionally a wreck, they're spiritually lost, uh, the, the, the devil, they, they, need, they need to be saved. And we are the ones that have the glory of the Lord dwelling within us to be able to go and to share with them. Hallelujah? Hallelujah. So, in many ways then, what I'm saying is we're not just reading about Jesus had the power and authority to heal people. That's true. And then, as Matthew says, and the fact that he had the power and authority to heal people proves he is the Messiah who he claimed to be. And that is very true. But what I want you to note in your notes is this. What Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 8 is, one, showing that he is, in fact, the Messiah, fulfilling prophecy, and number two, please connect this dot, he is giving you and I... An example to follow as his disciples. Jesus has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen. But now Jesus is going to go on to say, and now my all power and my all authority I delegate to you. You can use my delegated power, my delegated authority in your home, in your neighborhood in your environment, with your family, in my name, and there's nothing that the enemy can do and the devil can't stop you, go after them. That's what Jesus is saying. So again, two chapters later, I want to give you this next scripture, Matthew chapter 10, verses seven and eight. So we're telling all these stories and and this is leading up to this. So I'm planting the seed a little ahead of time, but I, I want to make that connection now so we really get it. Once we get there. So let's read Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. See, what that's what Jesus just did. He preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus cleansed the lepers. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus cast out the demons. Yes, he did, and he is the Messiah. And now he is saying, and as you go, you preach what I preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You heal the sick in my name. You cleanse the leopards. You raise the dead. You cast out the demons freely. You have received, freely give. And as I mentioned again here, the authority that we have, and, and what I want to say is, And and this is so beyond my ability to communicate in words, so only by the Holy Spirit, divine revelation can it come. But this little statement in your notes, the authority we have, which is we are not using, listen to me, we have yet to use the authority that we already have. And I I am being drawn, and I'm trying to provoke, challenge, encourage, inspire, and teach you. All of you have tremendous, untapped authority and power in the name of Jesus, and the authority we have is the legal right. Now, this is legal. I don't know if you know this in the spiritual world, but the kingdom, of, the kingdom is the whole universe. There's rules in the, in the spiritual realm, just like we have laws and rules, gravity and all of that in the physical realm. There are legal rules in the spiritual realm. We have legal authority where it's not about strength and power and, you know, us fighting with the devil or whatever. We have legal papers, And those legal papers, legal rights, legal authority, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we just put down the Word of God, and the devils scream, back off, and have to yield every single time when we use our authority. So, and I also want to say this, the power of healing and the casting out of demons is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. So, let's go to the next one. Uh, The Lord wants us to move from merely being believers to disciples. A lot of people think the goal is to believe. I believe, I believe, I believe, and they spend their whole life just believing, and that that's good, but please do not stay there as a believer. In fact, doesn't James say even the demons believe, but with fear and trembling? We've got to move beyond just being a believer. Jesus came not to make merely believers, but to make disciples. So, Uh, Verses uh, 18, we'll close with verses 18 through 22. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, But Jesus said to him, follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Because there are now great crowds following Jesus, there are many would-be disciples who wanted to follow, but in the end, they only have a shallow basis. Many were not willing to pay the price. Has anyone ever told you that you want to be a disciple? You want to really, man, I want to go all the way in. I want everything God has for me. Okay, cool. Did you know there's a price that must be paid in order to get there. So I'm asking you the question, Jesus is asking this question, do you really want to be my disciple? You really want to experience the powers of the age to come? You really want the power of the kingdom of heaven to be manifest here upon the earth? You really want to experience me and all that I have for you? Are you willing? So I'm asking you, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? You might be going, so what is the price? Here it is explicitly. Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 and 25. Let's read it out loud. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's what it means. Um, what do do I do, you know, because we're all about us, and what about me, what about me? And he goes, yeah, I'm glad you're here. Now, deny you. (laughs) Deny yourself. Then take up your cross. What does that mean? There's part of you, listen, part of you that's going to die, but then there's a part of you that's going to come alive and be resurrected that is unbelievable. Let me tell you the part that's going to die. The part of you that God wants to die is the worldly you, the fleshly you, the carnal you, the selfish you, uh, uh, the frustrated you, the anxious you, the fearful you, the controlled by all of the lies of the enemy you, the you that drives you nuts. <laughs> That's the one he says, let it die. And you know what? Uh, and don't even feel sorry for that sniveling little baby. Seriously, don't feel sorry. for It's like, fine, suffer die, leave me. And, and so we're, we're made spirit, soul, and body in the image of our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have a spirit, spiritual life where we are in divine connection and communion with God. Our soul is our mind, our emotions, and our will. And then we have a physical body. It's our earthly suit to live life on earth. Now, the soul is in the middle, okay, mind, emotions, and will. And there's a battle going on between my spirit and between the flesh. What will I allow? Because here's you and I get to choose what we want to think about, what we want to experience and feel, and we get to make choices. We're made with a will to be exercised. Will my soul, if my soul is consumed with the demands of my flesh, and I do everything my flesh screams and whines and i need this and i want this and blah blah and when you as a human being give your mind emotions and will to your flesh and basically what's called in the bible carnality you will perish little by little you lose your humanity in the image of god and you become you you become combustible you burn you die you get you shrink and you get small and you disappear on the other hand if you allow your thoughts your emotions and your will, to, to be filled with the Spirit. You, you make the choice. I want to think your thoughts. I want to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then your emotions begin to be transformed by this heavenly divine thinking and agreement with the Word of God. And your emotions begin filled with the fruit of the Spirit and the love of God and the joy of the Lord. And then your will is empowered. And now all of a sudden, your Spirit, through your soul, tells your body, I am a house of God. I am a holy house, a clean house, a joyful house, a righteous house, a bright house. Now you're in proper order. And that's what the Lord is giving to us. So to, to say to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, it's basically saying I am going to let Jesus and the kingdom of heaven and the spirit of the Lord have total control of my life. Are you willing to do that? That's what the Lord is asking. All right, and that's what he is desiring. So, last scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, because Jesus is calling, just like he called the disciples way, way, way back then, he's calling you and I to come after him and to follow him. He doesn't make you, he calls you, he woos you, and he says, Will you come with me? Will you follow me? Will you listen to me? Will you let me teach you? Unlearn those things. Let's start learning all of this that is new. So in your notes, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, let's read this out loud together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I wanted to mention this last thought, because I always, when I read this story in Jesus, the guy goes, hey, my, my father, can I, you know, he's, when he dies, and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. I always thought, wow, you know, it seems kind of rude of Jesus because I was reading with a modern, you know, mindset in modern English thinking, oh, the poor guy, his dad just died and he, he is having a funeral and he just says, can I go to my dad's funeral and then I'll follow you, Jesus. And Jesus saying, no, let the dead bury the dead. That's not what's happening here. There's a gap between, uh, you know, English in America in 2018 and, you know, Hebrew and Hebrew culture 2,000 years ago. Let me let you in on a secret. The guy's father hadn't just died. He wasn't having a funeral. He's probably doing fine. What he said by let me bury my father was his, his dad may live another 20, 25, 30 years. What he's saying is, but I, I want to go with you in your ministry, but I've got to hang out with my dad until he dies, which could be a decade or two uh, from now, because then when he dies, I get my inheritance. And once I get my inheritance and get my finances set, then I'll come follow you and do all that spiritual stuff. That's what he was saying in a Hebrew culture. And Jesus was saying it doesn't work like that. God doesn't let you get your little kingdom built up and get all set and everything and the ducks in a row, and then I'll be spiritual and serve God. He's saying, no, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness now, because you're showing your priorities are you, and I'll tell you this, he says, if you put me first and you seek my kingdom and my righteousness now, I will take care of you in the end. I'll provide, in fact, God is a good, you know, he, he blesses from Abraham. He takes care of his people and his kids. I'll take care of you. But that will not be your focus is, you know, the pie at the end of the American dream. Jesus is saying, I got a bigger dream than that. I got a kingdom dream. I'll provide for you and I'll take care of you. But you got to, I'm not going to be second fiddle to your earthly pie and kingdom. I got to be first when you're young, from the start. And you honor me first, and you love me first, and you worship me first, and you put that spiritual priority right, and man, I will blow your mind with what I do and how I care for you, how I provide for you. And then, here's what's exciting when you start being the kind of man and woman you were always destined to be, God, just like a good father, starts trusting his maturing sons and daughters with all kinds of good things and, and blessings and resources because he knows your heart isn't after that and you thus become a conduit of him and his heart to give and to give and you just it just keeps coming in and you just keep letting it flow. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus is saying. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranothachapel.org for more information.